Beep. The following episode of the Dialogue Podcast features spoilers for guest house parodies. Beep. This is Diabolical, the comedy podcast where four long-suffering friends dissect films' most dastardly schemes, then compete to improve them. I'm your host, Gaz, and this week's movie is Rick Mail and Aid Edmondson's bottom spin-off, Guest House Paradiso. So, Peril Pals, do not answer the door to the GAS MAN! But do put on your best rubber-studded underwear, because... It's Wednesday! You know what that means! Let's get diabolical! Hello and welcome to this week's pod, wherein my three friends and I comprise the panel of peril who will compete to see who can improve the villainous plan of the week the best to earn points for the leaderboard in the show's competitive round. But first, if you could introduce yourselves and tell me what your worst vomit was, projectile or otherwise. And let's begin with the Cinemaster. Hello, Cinemaster here. Uh, it's been many times, obviously, with the booze, but I can't remember a lot of them. But the worst time was I got, I think it was like a 24-hour bug from uh, Tesco when I swam in a river, the River Trent. Mm. I vomited so hard for so long, eventually I... Oh, dear. That's too far. That's too far. I'll bleep that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And next, let's go Craig. Hello, Craig here. My worst vomit is one that I can't remember, but I remember waking up to a bed that was covered in thin, almost (laughs) clear purple vomit. Uh. And trying to remember what happened the night before, but only been out with a, a friend from work, and we'd only had a couple of drinks. And then there was a girl who was kind of chatting him up, and he had the same experience as me. And he thinks that we got roofied, but he doesn't remember what else happened to him. So yeah, there you go. Huh. Mm. Drinking red red wine, we for it to be purple vomit. Just drinking. Cheeky Vimto's. Jack Daniels and Coke. Nothing purple. That's why it was so weird. But maybe after that, someone gave us something purple or we bought something purple because I have no memory after that initial quiet drink. Drank a bottle of cowpole. Yeah, it's quite quite possible, yeah. <laughs> Trying to make some uh, flaming mose. Yeah. <laughs> and Ben. Hi, Ben here. And my worst puking experience was uh, after a weekend where Mina... And the two girls all got a sickness bug. And I looked after them the whole weekend and thought I was fine. And then I had to fly to Taiwan for work on the Monday morning. Got on the plane. Everything was hunky-dory. About halfway through the flight, I just felt my stomach turn. And I, oh, no. Uh-oh. If I'm bad here, I'm not. they're not even going to let me through the airport. So I just like closed my eyes and just went into a meditative state for the whole <laughs> flight. Just like focusing. Got off the plane. Just kept that focus, got through the airport, got in the taxi, got back to the hotel. The guy dropped off my bag. I said, thank you. Closed the door, straight in the toilet. That was it then, all night. 
Spewing my lungs, oh my God. guts up. Ninja focus works, see? Yeah, and then Amazing. the next morning, yeah. next morning, got off, went to work. <laughs> wow. Bloody Nora. You absolute hero. <laughs> you have to show us the medal you got for that one time. <laughs> uh, all I got was a, an article about some Toyota dealers in Taiwan, sadly. Uh, oh, that was definitely worth it then, see? All worth it. I have actually thought of the the worst time I've I was ever sick that and it affected lots of people and go on. Where we went to Reading, uh, I drank a liter of vodka in about oh, an hour. Oh, uh, and then the, that was silly. then all I remember I remember dancing around for a bit and then waking up the next morning in a tent I was sharing with like three or four other people on my own and I looked out and there's everybody else has piled into the other tent and I was like why are you all over there and they were like look in the tent. And down either side of me in this tent was just rivers of sick (laughs) (laughs) throughout the night. (laughs) And I I was so ill, I couldn't drink the rest of the weekend. And that was on like a Thursday or Friday. And it was going on to the Sunday. (laughs) You got a bit excited, did you? I I got a bit too carried away. And that was it. So it's me right. Easily done. Mine's a similar story in that vein, getting a bit carried away on holiday in, uh, I think it was Sicily an all-inclusive holiday i decided it was a a wonderful idea starting at about 11 a.m to try every single cocktail on the menu in quite rapid succession (laughs) (laughs) which by about two in the afternoon was quickly revealed to be not a very good idea Mm. and i spent most of the rest of the afternoon kneeling on the floor with my head down the toilet followed by an evening meal just sat staring straight ahead at the kids not moving and (laughs) To this day, every couple of months or so, one of the children or Becky will say to me, hey, do you remember that time you had every cocktail on the menu and you were sick all day? <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> you keep on bringing it up. I'm never going to forget it. Did you at least complete it, your mission? I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> Guesthouse Paradiso was released in 1999 and written by longtime comedy duo Mail and Edmondson whilst Rick was convalescing from a serious quad bike accident. The film was shot for a thrifty £3.5 million budget, yet is still classed as a box office bomb. The worst kind of bomb. Nevertheless, the finished film has sequences of the brilliance that would be Rick and Aid's hallmarks of their career in comedy together. Comedic violence, gross-out humour, making themselves look buffoonish, all seen in the likes of Bottom, The Young Ones, The Dangerous Brothers, Filthy Rich and Cat Flap, Comic Strip Presents, and much more besides. The regard with which the pair were held is reflected in securing the services of world cinema star Vincent Cassell to play villain Gino Bolognese, and their eye for up-and-coming screen talent is plain to see, with Bill Nye. Simon Pegg and Kate Ashfield all cast in strong supporting roles. Make no mistake, Peril Pals, this film is not perfect, but when it hits, it does hit very hard and is frequently hilarious. But what did the panel think? Let's hear from Craig first. Well, we've done a few TV sitcom movie spin-offs now, and we always get around to discussing the same thing when we talk about them. And that's the cinematic quality of them. And we kind of, we agreed that Alpha Papa was more cinematic than the TV show, I'm Alan Partridge. But we all, I think, agreed that the League of Gentlemen's Apocalypse 
was much more cinematic than Alpha Papa. But what I would say about Guesthouse Paradiso is, it is not just cinematic, it is cinema. It's <laughs> I can't believe the budget is three million. It's gorgeous, and I can't believe it's Aid Edmonton's debut directing it's, yeah, because it's fantastic. It's so good, not just in terms of the slapstick comedy, which they do so well, but the lighting, the choice of shots. It, obviously, the the name is an allusion to Cinema Paradiso, and I think it's obvious that Aid is a fan of and drew from European cinema. But yeah, it's. I think it's an incredible achievement. The stunt work in it is exceptional. It's paced and edited really well. I think it hits more than it misses. Uh, I guess not every laugh was a huge belly laugh, but I just thought it was fantastic. The best of the TV sitcom spin-offs for me that we've seen so far. Absolutely brilliant. Good. Glad you enjoyed it. Well then, next, let's hear from Ben. Well, it's a bonkers plot that is really just a vehicle for air... Edmondson and, and Rick Mail to do what they do best, which is incredible physical comedy and absurd yeah. gags. In the few moments I wasn't laughing, I was just smiling because it was such a treat to be back in their company, back in with Richie and Eddie. Even though I, Richie came across a little bit more evil than I remembered in this one. <laughs> he's not the same character, is he? He's um, Yeah, I know he's slightly no, he's different. Not. No, he's not. He's called no, Richard he's Richard in bottom, and this, this is Richard, Richard Thwaite. And yeah. Eddie in yeah. the TV show was Eddie Hitler, and in the yeah. in the movie he's called Eddie Edwards, Eddie Elizabeth Ningombaba, Ningom, something like that. That's Ningombaba. right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is amazing. <laughs> but the supporting cast, you know, the dodgy stereotypes aside, all play the straight man role perfectly. And for the most part, it, for a film that's put together on such a tight budget, it punches well above its weight. So all overall. It gets a <laughs> out of five from me. <laughs> That's exactly what you want from a comedy film out of five, I would say. Yeah. So let's hear from the Cinemaster. What's your take? Well, I must have been watching a totally different film because uh, <laughs> I, I I found it tedious as fuck. Okay. I mean, I'm I'm a big fan of Eddie and uh, and, and and Richie. And I've got the I've got all the series at bottom. I've got the young ones complete series as well, um, and I love that. And I remember seeing this as I've already regaled you with stories of a couple of times before. Seeing it instead of seeing the Sixth Sense and being mm. quite disappointed and not seeing the Sixth Sense and seeing this and then thinking, oh, maybe it'll be all right because I like bottom, and I hated it at the time. And now I I thought maybe maybe age for some reason made me made me pick something out of it no it's absolute no. shit um <laughs> got nothing from it um it was just basically like an episode of bottom stretched over an hour and a half yes there's moments to like don't worry i've got like bits quotes and things like that and little bits of it but i just thought it's just too long by by about an yeah. hour about an hour, yeah. <laughs> so you would have prayed wow. a single episode. Honestly, I I really tried. I really tried as well because I was That's I was going enough. off the back of not liking it when I was a kid, and I thought if I didn't like it then, why why am I not going to like it now? And my my final note is, even people being violently sick on each other couldn't save this from being a disappointing film. So I, I am impressed as well that they they made it for such a small budget. Really, um, that that is that is impressive. 
I think when Rick Mayle has the scene, he has it much more than than Aid Edmonton. He's absolutely like he's, like we just said. Then he's a totally different character, and he's like he's like Basil Fawlty on acid, <laughs> <laughs> hiding under a table, screaming. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but he's uh, yeah, he's great. But that, that's all I thought it was. I thought it was a really, really slapstick sort of faulty towers kind of thing. I didn't think it brought anything to to bottom, even though I know this isn't a bottom film per se, but essentially it is, isn't it? Yeah, essentially it um, is. Yeah. yeah, I was I'm I'm really sad that I didn't like it to be honest, more than that I didn't like it. So oh, fucking hell. Jesus. Yeah, but, you know, but I, lo- I did, like I say, I lo- I lo- I love them so I'm much. <laughs> well, my opinion lies somewhere in between the two ends of the spectrum that the panel have, have had so far. I think it's at once uproariously funny. Some of the slapstick in this genuinely had me doubled over and able to breathe my current wheezing condition, which you might be able to hear at home, notwithstanding. <laughs> uh, particularly a moment early on where they're serving breakfast and Eddie blows a pencil up. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he, he lunges over the table, like making grabbing motions yeah. to Bill Nye's common law wife's tits. <laughs> as he does yeah. so, like, that is so good. Lots of little moments like that are oh, just genuinely hilarious. But as the cinemaster was saying, I, th- I think it is stretched a bit thin. I think perhaps it might have worked better as a series, uh, chopped up and restructured slightly for me. But it, it is. As Craig said, an incredible achievement for Aid Edmondson in today is only directing gig. It looks it looks fantastic, right down to sort of the opening of himself, Aid Edmondson, riding on a motorbike towards the guest house parody. So pissing. What off an the opening side that bit. is! It's so good. <laughs> yeah, the sequences in the attic lit by candlelight are superb mm. and they really show off how great Rick Mail is in close up when he's just lit by candlelight. Yeah. His facial expressions are by turns massive and wildly slapstick and comedic, but he's also very subtle at times as well. Just a little flick of the eye when he's unsure of himself, which is equally as funny. Yeah. Superb Rick is he's, he's very much missed on the British comedy yeah. scene. Yeah. But that's what I'd say this brought to bottom that it didn't have before, you know. Cinemaster said, I don't see what springs to bottom. And for me, it was to see these guys on the big screen because of the subtleties in those facial performances. Yeah, right. Like at the start when uh, when Rick Ritchie is on the reception desk of the hotel and uh, Bill Nye's saying there's no waiter in the restaurant and just dead tight close up on, on Rick. And you can see all the smug self-assuredness going on in his face when he's making fun of him for not understanding how a restaurant works and then yeah. how it all washes away when he realises the guy's not there. <laughs> Brilliantly subtle performance, which is an odd thing to say about such a caricature slapstick character. But yeah, I think uh, they both acquit themselves really well as uh, film actors in this. Mm. Agreed. It's what everybody always used to say about Rick, isn't it? That he just, anything that he was in, he would steal it. Yeah. So his, his two appearances in Blackadder as the two versions of Flash right. Art absolutely stole yeah. the episode yeah. every time. Uh, his guest spot on Jonathan Creek as uh, Detective Prick. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely classic. I think it's testament to him at the height of his powers that you and I 
as I think eight or nine year olds religiously watched the new statesman which we must have had absolutely <laughs> fucking no idea what it was about yeah but just wanted to see rick mayo performing comedy uh and and finding it genuinely funny mm. yeah definitely what i thought about a lot of that what while watching this film was was the live shows and how yeah i, I preferred the live shows over this because i i felt um the film was too sterile an environment sort of for them to really come to life and to, to, to make it their own. And I just think it was a bit restrictive on both of them, even though Rick Mail still, when, when they say go a mile, he always goes a bit further. Ironic word to use, sterile, because I remember the description, in fact, for one of the live shows, like the blurb on the VHS box was violent, squalid and downright hilarious. And one of the things that I loved about this film is how squalid everything is. Yeah. Everything looks dirty and terrible. Yeah. And although I think you're right, and it could have very easily been that way as a cinematic version of what they do on the stage show, I thought the way that they staged the slapstick, particularly the fight they have in the kitchen, mm. was really quite visceral and really well done. Stuff like the pencil in the eye and the candle in the eye, Simon Pegg's nipple ring. <laughs> <laughs> Made me wince. Well, they actually started writing this during the tours, right? When yeah. they were spending a lot of time in hotels. Mm. And then, yeah, as you said earlier, Gaz, when uh, Rick had his accident, they started yeah. to finesse it because the first read-through of all the material they, they put together after being on tour, they did a time read-through of the script and it was three and a half hours. Jeez. <laughs> Too long. <laughs> Interesting that they open it with a deadly bike stunt sequence following Rick's quad bike accident. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well that's the that's the other interesting behind the scenes tidbit was the original idea was for them to co direct the film. And in behind the mm. scenes footage, test footage particularly with effects, you can see Rick yelling cut and action. Mm. But after his accident he just wasn't capable of, of multitasking in that way anymore, unfortunately. Right. So it does make you wonder how, how much, if anything, would have changed. Yeah. Had had they co directed it. Who mm. knows? But yeah. I think from the, the footage I saw, Aid Edmondson actually asked Rick if he could do it, and I, I don't know, you know, how much was to do with the accident as well. But mm. yeah, Aid Edmondson went went up to him and said, "Listen, I, I really want to direct this." And yeah, Rick yeah. said, "Go for it." There was another bottom TV series uh, which uh, Aid Edmondson talked about recently on Desert Island Discs, which they would have made, which was based on I think it's the number three live show, Hooligans Island. If they're marooned on it, yeah, that's good. That <laughs> and um, he said uh, it got commissioned by the BBC. They were ready to go, and he said Rick just couldn't write it anymore, so they had to abandon it after his accident. Oh, wow. he, he just couldn't do it anymore. So yeah, mm. sad. Yeah, yeah, shame. He was uh, he was running before he died. I'd say he he was running quite a lot, wasn't he? And then that's the, he got back from after a run, wasn't it? And then that's when he had a heart attack. That's why I try not to exercise. Well then, shall we move on to our favourite moments? And let's begin with Ben. There were so many. Uh, I think we highlighted it a bit earlier, but I want to talk a bit more about it. The fight sequence in the kitchen. Mm. <laughs> particularly where... It's a long one. Yeah, particularly where <laughs> Eddie puts his head through the hatch and then gets pulled in with the hooks. Because that yes. was filmed backwards. <laughs> he says the line backwards. It's amazing. Oh, wow. 
Yeah, and they reverse it. Having watched a lot of behind-the-scenes Twin Peaks footage recently, that's not easy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's just so many great moments in that. It just goes on and on and on, and yeah. it's just those two just doing what they're so good at. Yeah. Yeah. Just battering the shit out of each other. Yeah. The guy who plays the chef, is he Spudgun? Yes. Yeah. He's in Biker Grove or something like that as well, wasn't he? That guy. Oh, yeah. Something like that, a kid's show. Maybe Grange Hill. My favourite bit in that kitchen fight is when Eddie clamps the old nutcrackers onto the carriage. That is proper brutal. (laughs) (laughs) It's great that you get to see it dangling there first for a few seconds, like being padded out. So you know it's coming. And then kicking him in the nuts as well. Very funny. (laughs) (laughs) And next, let's have the Cinemaster. Well, I've got quite a few favourite bits, but probably the best bit was the big congealed sick ball that comes out of uh, Gino Bolognese's (laughs) mouth at the end, in Indiana Jones style. (laughs) This big uh, loose skin cheeks dangling down. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Just that whole whole (laughs) sequence, I just... You know, you know, because they're just being violently sick over each other and stuff like that, and you think it's just going to keep on going like this. But they must have gone. How can we? What can we do to top all this stuff now? And then they just must. It's a stroke of absolute comic genius, I think. And then obviously the, it's a wink to the indie franchise and everything. So yeah, I really, I really love that. And I'll just say another one of my favorite moments is when they go into Gina's bedroom with the salad undressed and he's got a bottle of salad a bottle of salad cream and a bottle of mozzola <laughs> I just thought that was hilarious I was pissing myself that line is amazing as well she says about his, it's a very big hat he says well you're a very attractive lady <laughs> and Richie's got like one of the little hats that you put on a chicken leg <laughs> Okay, Craig, hit us with your favourite moment slash moments. My favourite moment is is the opening motorcycle stunt sequence. I just think it's incredible. Stuff like yeah. him being asleep while riding the bike, <laughs> falling over the side and hanging on like a cowboy <laughs> hanging over the side of a horse. Yeah, weaving in and out of the traffic. It's such a brilliant sequence. I can't even begin to fathom how he did it on that budget. At times. There's no way he's being dragged on the back of a flatbed or anything. There's definitely some real motorcycle driving going on there, and he's going fast as fuck. There's a stunt guy. You see that in the making of, which we should include in the show notes, by the way. Yeah, I'd like to watch the making of. I didn't realise that was uh, available. That whole sequence is is masterful. Like, yeah, just a brilliant piece of filmmaking and comedy. So I was I was blown away by it. Great way to open. How about the sequence where Richie? finds Mr. Nice, played by Simon Pegg. He finds his wife's kinky orange bondage gear and then (laughs) has to proceed to to creep around the hotel, hiding in various places until he's inside a tiny chest of drawers trying to... trying to escape the room and then yeah. I, f- I forget the sequence how, how they wind up in the kitchen but he, he does eventually wind up in the oven with the gas turned yeah. off <laughs> in the kitchen downstairs it's a highly implausible turn of events but it really is rather rather humorous I have to say <laughs> but it's because it's domino effect you don't you don't really disbelieve it yeah because it, bu- it builds yeah. and builds and builds gets yeah. slightly more ridiculous each time I love when he pokes the kid in the eye yeah. from the, from the jaw. 
proper spiteful person, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He hates those kids. Bloody hates them. <laughs> okay, let's unleash the torrent of favourite lines and let's begin. You haven't gone first for a while. Let's begin with Craig. So my, my very favourite line is uh, when Bill Nye and Kate Ashfield are in the, what we'll call the restaurant and because the, there's no waiter, Eddie tries to fill in and he keeps trying to present them with the wine list. And uh, <laughs> the, the second time he does it, he's here's the wine list. And uh, Kate Ashfield says, but it's a bit early for us. And he says, well, what are you doing up then? <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Brilliant. Um, ben? Well, I've got, like I said, I've got two that I can't separate in terms of how much I like them because they're both so great. So the first one connects to what Craig was just saying. It's when they're serving breakfast and Richie takes over from Eddie and he opens that little, it's like a little spout to go through <laughs> to the kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> Feeb! One boiled egg. <laughs> Feeb! <laughs> I was dying every the time I said yeah. I was pissing myself for that as well. I was just like, what on earth is going on? <laughs> and then the other one, if you'll indulge me, was when uh, Richie was stuck in the oven and Eddie leads Gina Carbonara out and t- is talking to her. And then there's an explosion in the kitchen. Or, or there's a, there's a, a big banging or, or whatnot in the kitchen. And Eddie says, it's mice. And then there's an explosion. <laughs> and Eddie just goes... Basque separatist mice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You've just nicked my both my favourite lines, you bastard. Oh, <laughs> oh, sorry. I had one, and then I had the other. I thought they won't. Somebody won't pick two of them, and you just you just literally. Well, I, I like. I'm happy to find out that we're simpatico. My backup of my backup is when Bill Nye's uh, bit on the side says, "Can I ask where your eggs come from?" He says. <laughs> Hens vaginas, <laughs> <laughs> and it's just a delivery the way he says it, and that, that shuts yeah. her up. <laughs> I think the key to that is he's trying to be helpful, isn't he? <laughs> that, yeah. That's his, uh, his yeah. best possible answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, my first line is as Richie is leading Bill Nye and Kate Ashfield down the stairs to breakfast. Richie says, I trust you washed. And Naive replies, the water was cold, actually. And Richie replies, that's no reason not to wash. We British invented the cold shower to stop people masturbating. I <laughs> <laughs> yeah. of nothing just being absolutely horrendous. And I'll do one more. When Simon Pegg and the Nice family check in at reception, Richie says, as we always say at the guest house parody, so have fun, don't go in the water, and try not to get shit on the sheets. <laughs> <laughs> I got one more that I had to write down, and it's so throwaway that I'm not sure if the majority of the audience would have even noticed it. But it's when Richie, in an attempt to steal Mrs. Foxfur's gold teeth, tries to pass himself off as his own Scottish brother who's oh, a yeah. dentist. And when she wakes up, he says to her, that's all looking muck fine. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
guest house parody so ex race car driver turned drug smuggler gino bolognese tries to win the hand of the lover who jilted him gina carbonara in order to do so he barges into the guest house threatens eddie with physical violence if he doesn't make him a romantic fish supper and insists on three prostitutes being sent to his room immediately after convincing his betrothed to seal the deal with him so pretty shit plan eh <laughs> It's barely a plan, if we're being honest. <laughs> it's, it's a very uh, tenuous link to include it in this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. But I'm glad you did. Yeah. Just to um to pull the curtain back for the Peril Pals at home, when I first mooted to the rest of the panel that I was going to choose Guest House Paradiso, but I didn't think there was a villain in it. It had been a while since I'd seen it. We just said, ah, oh, we'll just make Eddie the villain. <laughs> so <laughs> an actual villain at least in uh, Gino Bolognese <laughs> yeah and then on reflection if there hadn't been Gino Bolognese Richie would have been the the better fit for the villain I think yeah that's yeah. true or maybe the uh, the company that's covering up all of the toxic waste dumping that's yeah that's on. true yeah, that's pretty good too with their uh, their cock and balls power plant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought it looked like the background image from The Little Mermaid that everybody goes on about. <laughs> the cock and balls in the background of that. You have to include that in the show notes. Yeah, I've never heard that. I've never heard of cock and balls in Little Mermaid. Haven't you? Do you just go around watching Disney films looking for cock and balls? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a hard job, but someone's got to do it. Misspent use. <laughs> so how, how does uh, Gino Bolognese's scheme rate on the broccoli scale? Well, I think you've summed it up well. There's no plan there whatsoever. He's just <laughs> driven by his libido. And so he gets the lowest rating of one florid of broccoli. Mm. Nuclear green broccoli. Seasoned with Parmesan cheese. Fancy. Before we go any ruddy further, thank you very much for listening to our show so far. Do remember, if you like what you hear each week, please subscribe, leave us a written review, and follow us on Apple Podcasts if you're able. It is the best platform to help us grow the podcast, and you, Peril Pals, are an important part in that process. If you aren't on Apple, rate us on your provider of choice, and follow us on socials at DiabolicalPod. And now we come to the part of the show where the panel of peril compete for precious peril points on the perilous leaderboard. Each member gets one vote, which will equal one point on the board. But do remember, you cannot vote for yourselves, you saucy babies. Our task this week is to win the heart of Gina Carbonara and leave Guesthouse Paradiso a free and married man. So, let's do this! And we shall begin this week's perilous proceedings with Ben. Save the best for first, eh? Oh, yeah. As we well know, it's first the worst. (laughs) I'm intrigued to see what spin everyone's put on this (laughs) non-plan. Gino Bolognese zips along the narrow coastal lanes that wend their way to Britain's cheapest hotel. His desire for Gina Carbonara urges him onward like a turbocharged fuel injection engine. He arrives at the guesthouse Paradiso, 
glances at the scooter parked out front and heads inside like a piston thrusting into a chamber. Eddie, the bald, incoherent bellboy, leads him to Gina and the conversation with her goes as it does in the film. But instead of getting violent, Gino breathes deeply and remembers the thrill of the drive to the hotel. He remembers the skills he possesses that made him the great playboy racing driver Gino Bolognese. Give me one last chance to prove myself to you, Gina, he begs, like an accelerator pedal pleading to be floored. He dashes from the room like a fast car and finds Eddie. I need your help, says Gino, flashing a wad of crisp banknotes. I will pay you £185 to let me race you. You on your scooter, me in my Ferrari 360 Modena. <laughs> Righty dokey, Skip. Eddie snatches the cash and grabs his helmet. The race is on. All of the hotel guests gather outside to watch. A murmur of nervous flatulence fills the air, just like the pits at Monza. From his Ferrari, Gino's headlamp-like eyes survey Eddie, who sits cross-legged on his scooter, a martini in hand. Richie, the hotel manager, waves a large pair of stained Y-fronts in lieu of a chequered flag, and it's go, go, go. Gino shoots into the lead, gliding round the bend with the assured skill that made him a star. He glimpses Gina swooning in his rearview mirror, while Eddie chugs along behind, scooping the dust from his cocktail. Unsurprisingly, Gina wins by a mongo mile, and Gina can't help but run to her victorious lover, flinging herself into his arms like a seatbelt. Oh, Gino, you are wonderful, she exclaims, like a well-maintained manual choke. <laughs> it was our love that powered me to victory, says Gino. Now let us marry so we are never apart again. Once Eddie returns, Gino gives him 50 quid to officiate the wedding. Richie borrows a fine gown from Mrs. Foxfur and becomes the perfect bridesmaid as Gino is too repulsed to sleep with him. As Gino and Gina leave in the Ferrari for a honeymoon in far more luxurious surrounds, they glance back to see their wedding guests puking with pure emotion. It's a sight they'll remember for at least 10 minutes. How did you arrive at the figure £185 out of interest? It's a, a strange amount. That's why I arrived at it. I wanted it to be <laughs> an unusual amount. Okay. So Gino wins the race because he's got more love for Gina, not the fact that he's driving a car with 450 horsepower and, and he's riding the moped. <laughs> And and Gina just swallows up hook, line, and sinker. Well, she? well, yeah, but so yeah. Gino is a a former professional racer. Gina is a woman. <laughs> so what are you trying to say? <laughs> That's just a joke, pair of pals. I do not mean that. Okay, yeah. I I don't think she she knows a lot about cars. He seems quite famished when he arrives at the guest house party. So how does he get away with not eating the fish? Uh, he's just, his mind is set on racing. One track mind. Yeah, he's just like, I need to show her my skills. That's what's going to impress her. And he forgets about having something to eat. Mm. You know, when your libido is acting up, you don't need food. No. Maybe being a drug smuggler, he's just uh, quaffed a load of drugs which have suppressed his appetite, which have enhanced mm. his racing skills. Why is he a drug smuggler? He's a drug smuggler. They say at the start. Mm. So he says he's a playboy racer. Ex-racer. Now, drug smuggler. Uh, yeah. Doing it really quickly in his cars. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, any further comments, questions, queries, qualms? No good. Let's... Should, should we vote? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, funny guy. Funny guy. <laughs> Let's go with 
the cinemas. Uh... Gino loves getting angry, but he hates some of the things it makes him do. It's not worth it. I mean, he's driven away the love of his life, for Christ's sakes. His friend, Dave Linguini, suggests Gino sorts himself out and deal with his anger if he is to win the heart of Gina for good. He tells him about a self-help book that has helped himself to get a handle on these issues. A book which has gained popularity over the 90s called The Dance of Anger. Essentially, an anger management book. Dave tells him to go to the bookshop run by their other friend, Sharon Mamma Mia, and pick up a copy. Gino, although sceptical at first, trusts his friend and picks up a copy and starts to read. Needles to say, it's a revelation. (laughs) As Gino sips espresso in the piazza, he flies through the chapters and puts its lessons to good use. Someone cuts him up while driving. No problem. Too much oregano on his pasta. Forget about it. Feeling like he's mastered his demons, Gino tracks down Gina to the guesthouse Paradiso. Instead of smashing down the doors and being a misogynistic bellend, he's the epitome of charm. He's even brought an entourage of people with him, including a Roman Catholic priest. They descend on the guesthouse and turn it into a venue fit for a wedding. As Gino drops to his knees, he tells Gina about his anger management control, shows her the book and professes his undying love for her. Gina can see in Gino's eyes, by the swarm of people transforming the guesthouse, that this time, it's different. His normal approach of aggression and violence is gone. When Gina looks at him, she sees a changed man. Later that day, after Richie and Eddie have been paid their dues, Gino and Gina are married on the top of a cliff edge by the priest. And for the wedding dinner, this time, fish is definitely off the menu. Oh. <laughs> oh, so what's on the menu? Uh, catering outside. <laughs> what's the name of the caterers? Uh, Gino or Gino Ginelli. <laughs> uh, <laughs> ice cream or pizza? Italian. That was in the first draft of my plan. Gino Mine too. <laughs> Mine too. <laughs> I just lent into the Italian stereotype. Instead of Do you know what else was in my first draft? Oh, Gino. Is Vianetta Italian or what? Must be Venetian. Is, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Here's my question for you, uh, Cinemaster, on, on yes, your plan. Yes, please tell me. Um, do you think someone who I would say is quite a misogynist like uh, Gino Bolognese would read a woman's guide to changing the pattern of intimate relationships, like the dance of anger. Yes, because he's in love with her, but he is also in love with being anger that he's torn in two. And that love for her overcomes his anger and seeks him to seek like this anger management stuff that changes him enough to see his errors of his ways for him to correct that. And then for him to go searching out for his love. Torn in two, like Tommy Wiseau in the room. Yeah, but in a more convincing way. Like Frankenstein <laughs> Casanova. Blessed disciple <laughs> of Hippocrates. My heart is torn in two. Yeah. Why does he bring a Catholic priest? To get married. 
They get married in a film, though, don't they? Without the aid of a Catholic priest. Yeah, but when he does it this time, because he's he's a changed man, he he brings a whole entourage with him, ready to do it. Okay. And then they sweep. You know, like when in some of the movies, they like get people they sweep into a house or something, and they go take yeah. that down, take this down, do. And it's that kind of affair. Like Father the Bride, Martin Short. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dave Linguini's not a very realistic name, is it? <laughs> c- c- <laughs> <laughs> they, yeah, but I, <laughs> what, do, you, do you think Sharon Mamma Mia is a bit more a bit more like it? <laughs> yeah, only because I know I know a guy called Mark Mamma Mia. But is that actually his name? <laughs> no, I, I don't know anyone called Mark Mamma Mia. Made it up. So my two problems with your plan, yeah, Cinemaster. Yeah, first you said oregano when everybody knows it's oregano. No, it's not. Um, Only if you're Big Boston Ben. Oregano? <laughs> it's got an E in it. Oregano. Do you call them herbs? You mean oregano? Put some oregano on my steaks. Hey, hey, I want some herbs oregano. and some oregano on my parmesan. Exactly. <laughs> no, it's herbs, oregano, and parmesan. What do they call oregano in Oregon? Because they don't pronounce it Oregon. They pronounce it like Oregon. So why aren't they calling it oregano? No, when they're saying oregano, they're talking about their penis. Okay. <laughs> I've been confused the whole time. Look at my oregon. <laughs> right. So you got a problem with my Britishness. Okay, we'll draw a line under that. What's your second problem? Uh, I posit that it's not anger that is the main issue. It is lust. Lust. He does ask for three prostitutes. And he slept with the three bridesmaids. Yeah, but it's it's the anger that drives him to go and find her, isn't it? And he's like, You will be mine, and then after you're mine, that is it. I'm gonna I'm gonna have my way. But once he's overcome his anger, he can see that that's been driving his lust as well. Uh, okay. So he's angry at himself and he just wants to make sweet, sweet love to all the bridesmaids. He just wants it all. He's it, Basically, when he's angry, that's in control. And he's just going, yeah, why can't I have this? Why can't I have that? And his anger is in the driving seat and it's telling him, why stop here when you can have Gina and then you can have all these other women as well if you want. But then when he gets handled on his anger, that's when he understands none of the rest of the shit matters. If he can't have Gina and she doesn't want to be with him, then the rest of the shit just doesn't matter. Very good. All right. And then I recommend a follow-up book to the one he read, and that's The Little Book of Calm. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hear Craig's plan. Gino Bolognese is a thoughtful, nuanced, and accurate depiction of an Italian man. <laughs> As such, his behaviour is driven by overwhelming urges and ungovernable passions. His rage burns with the fire of the Mediterranean sun. Vincent Cassel is French, and as such, his urges are more governable, his passions more subtle and patient. We know Guesthouse Paradiso is a meta work, because both Ritchie and Eddie break the fourth wall to acknowledge the audience. Therefore, we can conclude that somewhere in his unconscious mind, Gino has access to Vincent's French powers of seduction. <laughs> Therefore, when Gino learns that his fiancée Gina Carbonara is staying at Guesthouse Paradiso, while his primary instinct drives him to storm in ragefully and take her by force, his French conscience reminds him, L'amour est un réseau rebelle, car nul ne peut apprivoiser, et c'est bien en vain qu'on l'appelle... C'est le convain de refuser. 
And so, before reaching the hotel, Gino makes a quick stop to purchase supplies for a romantic French meal. When he greets Eddie, instead of assaulting and threatening him, he kisses him warmly on each cheek. And instead of asking him for three prostitutes to be brought to another room, he asks for a madame and several courtesans to be placed in an adjoining boudoir. When he finally greets Gina, he does so with a knee-weakening French kiss, a bottle of champagne, a stick of French bread, and some French fries. As such, Gina falls in love with Gino. They do not eat the fish. So once they are wedded, Gino is free to spend the rest of the night with his hookers, and in the morning, he leaves with Richie, Eddie, and his new wife for a new life abroad. So it's a bit like Last Action Hero. It's exactly like Last Action Hero in every conceivable way. I know exactly what you mean, and we don't need to follow up on on that because I think everybody's on the same page as you. So who's Benedict in this scenario? Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, because he knows he's in a film. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, unconsciously, whereas uh, Richie and Eddie are, are much more conscious of it because they're able to perceive the audience. So also. Gina, the actress that played Gina, she's also mm. French. Mm. That's why she'd love all this friendship. So you think she'd love it rather than be immune to it? Absolutely. I mean, why wouldn't French people enjoy French food and the French kiss? It's, <laughs> it's their thing. Yeah, but the, but the, maybe so. the, uh, the French also get children to uh, tread their grapes and put antifreeze in their wine as well. So. Yep. It's not really relevant it's, to the yeah. film, but you're right. Uh, voila un bonbon. <laughs> I need wine for my children. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> you're at Disneyland. <laughs> Trust you all recognise the passage in French there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, when you read the menu from uh, Le Bistro. You've all seen Magnolia, yeah. Yeah. On the quiz Kids. Oh Christ, I'm not going to remember all the line from that. That's some time ago. Yeah, it's been a long time. Love is a rebellious bird that none can tame. And it's quite in vain that one calls it if it suits it to refuse. I'll tell you what it is. It's pretentious. Next. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. Preferentious. Preferentious? Does that work? Who knows? French pretentious? Well, I never. (laughs) Rude French. (laughs) Well, I never. (laughs) Just imagine, though, if I were to seduce any of the three of you, if I arrived with a buttered French baguette full of French fries, you've got to ultimate chip butter. Right no, you have you'd, you'd have to come with a pulsating chocolate eclair called Le Bon. Mm. <laughs> so dark, light cannot escape its surface. No, 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 you idiots! This is a picture. <laughs> <laughs> well, then let's move on to the final scheme, which is my scheme. Gino Bolognese stands in the cool night air just outside the guesthouse Paradiso and bellows up to the room that Gina Carbonara has been situated in. Gina! Gina! Where the fuck are you at, Gina? (laughs) A twitch of the yellowed curtain nets in the prize-winning actress's room confirms that she is in there. Is it just my name you don't like? You are yourself and not a Bolognese as yet. And what is Carbonara? Not cock? Nor balls, but both in tandem, as is my love for you. (laughs) Gina steps forward to her window, 
and looks down upon her volatile lover. I'll take you at your word, she replies. Aye, aye, things are looking up here, Gino thinks, as his eyebrow raises involuntarily. He continues to romance. With light as fuck wings, I flew here to perch on this shithole. This guest house cannot hold back my love just like you can't. Nobody in there can stop me. You are mine, Gina. She takes a moment before replying fervently, I had forgotten how much I love your company, but it is almost morning and I would like you to go. Hey, fuck you! I would fucking kill you, I love you so much. Kill you, as it kills me to part with you. Oh, Gino, parting is such sweet sorrow. <laughs> See, it's a pain in the fucking ass, in it? So come down here and let's go to Scotland and tie the fucking knot. <laughs> they do. <laughs> Travelling to that place where people elope when they're underage, mm. getting married, or without having to deal with Richie Thwait or Eddie Elizabeth Nidingombaba. Bellissimo. <laughs> so I've done Romeo and Juliet. Is it Greenwich Green or something like that? Was it Greenwich Green? Greenwich Green? Oh, where people yeah. eloped to. Yeah. Gretna Green. Yeah. Gretna Green. Gretna Green. We all knew it. it. Reminded me of Pop from the <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Even writing it. I thought, I'm just going to sound like Pop reading this. I knew it from the start. <laughs> so basically, Gino doesn't change and it's Gina that changes, essentially. I don't think she changes either, right? He doesn't go into the hotel. That's the big difference. He just doesn't go in the hotel, so he can't eat. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't go through Eddie. Through force of nature, he just changes her. Well, she agrees to marry him anyway. She only really properly goes off him after he tries to rape her. So if he takes her away from the guest house before that happens. Yeah. He's untethered the situation from its inevitable conclusion uh, by changing the location of the marriage. (laughs) So there. Moving on! (laughs) Those plans, if I'm not mistaken, were groin-throbbingly diabolical, weren't they? First, we had Ben's plan of a high-speed race between Gino and Eddie to impress Gina and win her heart. Then we had the Cinemaster's plan, which was for Gino to uh, read a self-help book to calm his anger and become a more considerate partner. Craig's plan, where Gino realised that he was French actor Vincent Cassel and using his Frenchness to woo Gina Bolognese. And my plan, where Gino enacts Romeo and Juliet's famous balcony scene and then they elope to Scotland. And with that, if we could all cast our votes in the manner of casting a fishing line, but accidentally hooking a nipple. Does that reference (laughs) work in this context? I don't know. I mean, if it doesn't work in this context, in what context could it work? God knows. Let's reveal our votes, beginning with the world's okayest human, Ben. (laughs) I have voted for the Cinemaster's self-help book. Very good. Well, in that case, who did the Cinemaster vote for? I voted for the plan that made me think a little bit, and it was a little bit Tenet, a little bit Inception, and a little bit Last Action Hero, which was Craig. Ooh. Craig, one for the Cinemaster. So, 
Who did Craig vote for? I voted for the plan that I appreciated. It used a bit of the lore, the backstory of the character, and had a bit of uh, a bit of thought behind it. Ben, yay! Ooh. 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 Ben, and the final vote from me also goes to one of the three people who've already got votes. <laughs> oh shit! That person will be revealed after this break. It's the Cinemaster! Ooh, that spice things up at the top. Oh, so spicy. What was that note on my plan there? Craig just becomes French. Yeah, all you thought. Craig spent 10 minutes on that plan. Come on, guys. And after this week's round, the scores now stand at in the lead with 19 points is Craig in joint second place with 17 (gasps) points apiece is the Cinemaster and my good self and bringing up the rear as per usual with 11 points (laughs) is Ben here I come boys I'm a chasing I'm a chasing you You do realise once it's mathematically impossible for me to catch up, I will be not attending any further recordings. Yeah. <laughs> That's all right, because I've been practising my impersonation of you, and what I plan to do is just fill in for you, but like really poorly to just ruin your reputation. Oh, that, that, that great <laughs> reputation I've built up over the years. You were our first winner, but uh, yeah. oh, you're going to get dragged through the mud at the end of this season. Oh, yeah, boy. You, you, if, this, if, you, if you don't win this season, you, 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 you pretty much proved it was a fluke. Yeah. <laughs> that will do us for another dose of the truly diabolic. But we shall return for episode 77 in seven days' time. The Cinemaster will be sitting in the hot seat with his film of choice, which I'm assuming will be seven. Could be. Could be. It could be uh, lucky number Slevin, maybe. Oh. Seven Samurai. Well, no, seeing as it's the most wonderful time of the year, we shall be watching a similarly themed film. A sequel, in fact. A sequel to the film I picked this time last year. We'll be watching Die Hard 2 Die Harder. Oh! Join us next week as we discuss Die Hard 2 Die Harder. If you would be so sodding kind and don't get any shit on the sheets. Until then, remember everything will be alright in the end, and if it isn't alright, then it isn't the end. Teco Magino Ginelli Ice Cream or Piazza Italia Tropic Fudge and Chocolate Nut Mint Chuck Chip Tutti Frutti What a Cutie Take a Gino home with you Oh, very good Gino, oh Gino Ginelli How about a Just One Locornetto Give it to me Give it to me. Delicious ice cream. Delicious ice cream. It costs £1.63. <laughs> Imagine, it'd be a bargain now. How much is Cornetto now? 
got to be three quid. Cornetto. Three quid for a Cornetto? Yeah. It's prestige ice cream, isn't it? Supermarket ice cream you buy now, don't you? You just buy whatever it is as the Netto. Yeah. Jesus. Cornetto. And it's shaped like a dick. <laughs> That's better. Family favourite. 